Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. I'm excited to launch this new series today on the book of James. Uh, One thing that I like to do um, and I'd like to do around our church over the next year or years ahead is is that we would have a message series around a book of the Bible. And uh, we'll do that probably at least a couple of times a year where we'll just work through a book verse by verse versus instead of having our ideas and having scriptures support our ideas, we're going to let the text of the scripture make the points itself, and that tells us how to live. I think that that would be a great way to live. So if we were to do maybe a couple of books like that each year, um, I only need you to give me about 30 years of your life, and we'll get through the whole Bible. Do you think we could do that? All right, you're in. Very good. So we're going to study the book of James over term four. We're talking school terms here. We're obviously part of Carmichael College as well. We always talk around here around school terms because holidays and so on are school holidays. But we're heading into school term four. And I just believe you're going to love this series. It's a, one of the most practical books of the Bible. It's packed full of wisdom. It's just a fantastic book. Um, and the, at the other side of all the amazing, great things that James teaches us, it can be quite hard-hitting as well. It can be quite challenging as well. Some people call it the Proverbs of the New Testament. And including today, we're going to take nine weeks as we walk through James um, and all the different chapters. It only takes about 12 minutes to read, but we're going to take about nine weeks to get through it. Is that okay? Uh, James shows up in the Scriptures um, This James that we're talking about is not the disciple James. This is the brother of Jesus, James. As we know, Mary, she was conceived of the Holy Spirit and she gave birth to Jesus. And Joseph then, I guess, technically was not really Jesus' father. It's like, but after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary got married and they had a bunch of kids and and one of those was James. And he was like, I guess you could say he was the half-brother of Jesus, and so um, James grew up and he gave his life to Jesus and uh, to his brother, surrendered his life to God, and uh, he became pastor of a church in Jerusalem. And James, we don't think he got saved until a little bit later after the resurrection. Um, but imagine, imagine that, um, I guess there's no better way of proving the divinity of God than thinking about James, who actually refers to his brother as God. Imagine that, referring to your brother as the son of God. And uh, I think I don't know what I have to do to convince my sister to conceive me as the son of God. Or but here's, here's James convinced that this is God. And in fact, in his very opening statement, he calls himself a servant of God. Let's put this up here now. And, and you'll see these verses as we start in the very first verse, James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, his very own brother. It's an amazing statement when you think about it, that he could call his brother the Lord, the leader of his life. And uh, I want us to think about James in that way as we go through this book. James begins his letter in chapter 1 and he dives straight into it. He dives straight into how we face trials of many kinds. He dives into this verse 1, chapter 1. 
Now, I want to ask you a question and be really honest with me. Have you faced a trial before or even most recently? Can I have a show of hands if you've been in a trial? Maybe you're in a trial even right now. Then this is going to be for you. How many people raise your hand if you're sitting next to your trial right now? Don't raise your hands. That will make your trial much worse, trust me. That was just a test, that question. That was a trick. All right, let's go on. James. 1 1. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So he just starts with this quick hello, greetings. And then he dives right into the next bit, which I think probably 99% of us, including myself, probably don't really do this next bit really well. We maybe struggle a little bit with this next bit, or maybe we struggle a lot and all the time with this next bit. And here's what it says in James 1 verse 2. Read it with me. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it joy when you face trials. Right off the bat, he's challenging us how we should face our trials, how we should face this thing called trials that we know that we're all going through and that we all are going to go through if you haven't yet. Trials are something that we face in our lives, trials of many kinds, and it has the potential to teach us something as we grow up in Christ. You see, God absolutely allows us to go through trials in our life, the testing of your faith, because the value of what it's going to bring in your life. I wonder how much pain and how much misery and how much heartache and gloom and despair that I've inflicted on my kids over the years with trials of many kinds, because I've allowed them to go through testing times to help them grow up and mature and become complete in their adulthood. I remember when they were young, my kids would say to me, Dad, do I have to go to school today? Yes. Why can't I just stay home and skip school today? No. You see, you need to go to school. Why? To get ready for your tests. Why? Because testing times will develop you. You can't skip that part. Why do I allow them to go through these trials? Because I hope that one day through their testing, they're going to graduate and they're going to grow up and be able to pay their own bills. Amen? Amen. That's the hope. I want them to grow up and mature and as I allow them to be tested, then that's what's going to happen to them. You can't go to school without the tests because tests reveal something. They reveal if you're going to need to redo the subject again because you didn't get the material the first time and you're going around the mountain again. We know what that's like. You didn't get the test the first time, so you've got to keep going around the same mountain. That same relationship issue just keeps on coming. That same financial problem you face just keeps on coming. You're going around and around the same mountain because you're not learning the lesson the first time and we never get to graduate to the next level. We keep getting tested on the same things until we learn and pass the test. And trials of many kinds can do that. How do you go with the testing that will going to prove if you're ready to move to that next level, that next grade, so to speak, in life? Because, you see, God is more interested in developing those things within us than he is in our comfort. 
He's more interested in our holiness than he is in our, our happiness. He's more interested in our character development than he is in our comfort, you see. And so he allows tests. Now, I'm not saying he allows temptations. That's in the later part in chapter 1. We'll do that next week as we talk about temptations. Right now, we're talking about trials. Trials and temptations are different. God doesn't want us to be tempted. He wants to protect us. And Jesus even prayed, deliver us from temptation, didn't he? But he didn't pray, deliver us from trials. In fact, he says, consider a pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of many trials. He knows we're going to face trials. And so he wants us to learn and say, well, what's the point? How do we get through our trials in a way that honors God? Well, here's the first thing we need to do. We need to realize something important is happening in the trial behind the trial. When we go through the trials, it's easy to ask yourself, why is this happening to me, God? What did I do to deserve this? I want to give you a little thought here. I've been in this place. Don't let your problems, don't let your circumstance, don't let your trial hijack the work that God wants to do in you. The Bible says that God has a purpose behind everything. We don't understand his ways, but his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So teach me, Lord, your ways and teach me, Lord, your thoughts so I can understand what's going on behind the trial, what's happening behind the process. It would be a tragedy if I went through the pain of the trial, went through the issues I'm struggling with and didn't learn the lesson behind it. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? I heard a pastor once say that God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. We waste the hurts, but God never wastes a hurt. You can't see what could happen because you're distracted by this terrible thing you're going through, by this horrible thing you're facing that you want to get out of. You go through this trial, you don't realise it's actually this deeper issue of what God wants to teach you lying underneath. There's always another lesson to learn through the test. With whatever you're facing, something important is happening behind your trial. I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, sometimes it's horrible. I'm just saying there's more to it. Does anyone agree? There's more to it. And I see this in James 1, verse 2 to 3. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Think about that. That's what's going on behind it. All tests of many kinds, all trials that you're facing are trying to develop a character quality within you, patient endurance, which is perseverance. That's what it's doing. There's character to be learned as you go through the issues of life and we get distracted by saying, I want to get out of it. Instead of in the struggles of life, we should recognize what's actually going on behind the scenes that God's trying to develop me. What is actually going on here? I need to ask God. Instead of getting out of this, I pray, Lord, God, what are you actually trying to do as I go through this storm? I remember a psalm by Steve Curtis Chapman 
uh, many years ago, and he says, sometimes God is walking in and doesn't take us out of the storm. We always pray, Lord, take me out of the storm. He says, no, I'm going to meet you in the storm, in the eye of the storm, where you'll find me in the eye of the storm, where you'll have perfect peace in the eye of a storm. See, God doesn't take us out of the trial. He allows us to go through the trial, but he promises to meet us in the trial. In that place, he will bring perfect peace. Why? Because his presence is with us. God will walk through these things with us. So don't pray, Lord, get me out of this trial. Rescue me from this trial. Lord, I want to find you with me in the trial. And if you take me out of this trial, that's your purpose. That's wonderful too. But Lord, show me the lesson behind the trial which is why we need to focus on our second point here, to join in with God's growth process. You're going to go through this trial whether you like it or not because God is allowing us to go through the trials. So we should learn how to cooperate with God's process of developing us and join in with it. In fact, James says, consider it pure joy while you're going through it. When we understand this is how we grow, then we can realize something really important is happening behind the scenes and join in with God's growth process. This is how we grow. Why does he allow this? Because he's a good God. He's not your heavenly Santa Claus. He's not the vending machine giving all the answers to the prayers that you want exactly. He's not there just to bless you with a trouble-free life. He's allowing you to go through trials because he loves you. And he wants you to grow because he loves you. He wants us to grow in character. He wants us to become mature. And he wants us to become complete, just like Jesus. He even allowed his own son to go through a trial and then through to crucifixion. We have this idea that trials are always bad things that we face. They're not bad. They're things that we face are difficult, yes, but they're good as well because we can be blessed in the trial. Check out this verse in James 1.4. It says, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. That's what you've been praying for, right? To be mature as a Christian. You've been praying, Lord, help me be complete and have everything that you want me to have, Lord. Do we all pray those prayers? Yes or yes? This is how we get there. As you pray a prayer like that, he says, all right, here we go. Here we go. And really, honestly, some of the trials that you face, they're actually just an answer to your prayers. You prayed for it. You didn't even know it. But God is using it to develop you. You say, oh, God, I want everything. I want to be complete in you. And God says, okay, here's the path. There's a road we're going to walk. There's a great price that's going to be paid to gain the character of God, to be just like Jesus. You see, when you came to Jesus, he accepted you just the way you are. There were no conditions. He accepted you just the way you are. But he doesn't leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. And we know Jesus suffered. He went through trials of many kinds. This is a road that we need to walk to gain the character of God. The topic is so often avoided by pastors and by churches because we don't want to hear about suffering, true? 
We want to hear the good messages, the feel-good messages, like love and being lavished in love and being powered in prayer. And We want to hear the good messages of happiness and joy and God's greatness and nothing's bad. And We want to hear the God bless you messages. Amen? But the Bible speaks so often and so clearly about this topic of suffering. There's a lot of verses about trials and suffering about the value of suffering. I'll show you a couple in Romans 5, 3 to 4. It says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, character, hope. I didn't hear any amens. As your pastor, I need to show you that this is part of the Christian life. And we need to notice how each one of these verses starts. Consider it pure joy, he says. And this one, not only so, but we also what? Rejoice in our sufferings. What about this next one? It says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. God is trying to develop something inside of you. Have you thought about your trial this way before? The best things, the best lessons, the deepest growth in your life is going to come out of the darkest periods of your life. We don't grow when everything's rosy and dandy, everything's perfect. We we just enjoy those times, amen? That's wonderful too. But it's in these dark times, these trials of life, you go deeper into a place where you could never have been before and God will speak into that place in your heart and he'll, he'll sustain you and he'll strengthen you and he'll help you. He'll meet you in that darkest place in your life. That's why we have to value this last point, point, well, sorry, point three. We have to, to value this as part of the growth process and, and here's how we do that. We have to be sure to ask for God's help. It might seem like a pretty basic thing to say. You might say, all right, next point. Come on, Troy, wrap this up. But I want to ask you, why is it that when we're in a trial, we try everything else but ask God for help? We go to everyone else and we tell everyone else about our problems and we get on Facebook and we put it on there and everyone likes it and gives us sad faces and Gets, tells us if you're whatever they thinking of us and pray for you and send emojis and uh, or we go to Google and we start research. I think Google gets more requests than God does. I think we need to learn that we need to ask for help. James has a little tip for us here in verse 5. If you're going to go through a trial, he says, talk to God. Talk to him about what? Well, he tells us what to talk to him about. He even tells us how to ask. This is what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. 
He's saying, if you lack wisdom, if your life's in a mess, if your life's in a mess and you need wisdom, you should ask God. And he will give you wisdom generously. I remember as a young Christian, I was 17 or 18 years old, I just remember praying to God every day, God, I pray for your wisdom. I just want to be a person full of wisdom. And I pray to God that prayer so often. I don't have wisdom by without God's wisdom. Which means if you're in a trial right now, most of you are in a trial. Here's the prayer. It's not, God, get me out of this. Remember, he wants you in school for the test, remember? He wants you to get something good on the other side of this. So don't pray, God, get me out of this. Here's the better prayer. He says, Lord, what are you teaching me? What should I be learning right now? How do I gain God's wisdom on this? And as I gain your wisdom, Lord, and learn the lessons that you need to teach me, you could literally, I think, speed up the trial process. Instead of going around that mountain, you know that she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. You don't have to keep going around the same mountain over and over and over. You go through the trial. You learn the lessons. And God says, you graduate. Let's go into the next trial. Let's go into the next part of life. The next thing I want to teach you. So that's a better prayer, isn't it? So let's quickly go to this. Be sure to ask God for God's help and say, Lord, what should I be doing and learning right now? What's your wisdom on this? And develop that within me. Develop that within me. And that becomes your prayer. Even though I don't know what's going on, even though my life feels like it's an absolute mess, I want you to teach me, Lord. I want you to develop me in everything that I'm being tested in I want to learn from this because I know you don't waste the struggle. You don't waste the hurt. You don't waste the pain. There's always purpose in the pain if I find it. This gives me a different kind of prayer time. When I pray like this, I can get up after this and I can come out and be confident. I can know because I'm standing on a solid rock of Jesus Christ. No matter what's going on in my life, I cannot be shaken. The word says I can be standing firm and being immovable on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. So no matter what I'm praying, no matter what I'm experiencing, my prayer is going to build my confidence. It's kind of a, creates a different kind of attitude to be able to face trials of many kinds and to have that joy that he says. The joy is not in the trial. That would be sadistic. I don't have joy for the trials I have joy in the Lord who is my strength. I have joy in the Lord because he's my strength. He gives me joy as I face the trials. I'm not joyful about facing trials, but I'm joyful because I have the presence of God as I face the trials. It gives me that confidence in him. I guess you could call it a supernatural prayer time or a supernatural response, supernatural attitude towards how we focus on the trial. It's not the natural response. It's a supernatural response. Do you agree? 
So here's my final point. We need to have a supernatural response. Now, this is really interesting. Actually, this is really cool. He goes on to say in verse 6 and 7, but when he asks, he must believe and what? Not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So when you ask, you should believe and not doubt. That's faith, right? If you ever want to interchange a word for faith, maybe you could use the word attitude. And as Christians, we have a supernatural attitude toward him. You say, Lord, it doesn't look possible, but I'm going to trust you. My attitude is on a faith. I'm not going to be double-minded. I'm not going to be unstable right now in this trial. I'm going to stand firm in Christ and be joyful in Christ and I'll be immovable in faith. You can't see how it's going to work out for you. You have no idea what the future looks like, but that's okay because you can stand firm and believe and not doubt. You can have a spiritual can-do attitude as you stand in your Saviour, Jesus Christ. Remember, He is your Saviour. Even if the worst should happen, and it can Though even the worst can happen. You still stand firm in Christ. And you believe and not doubt. What do I believe in? Jesus Christ. What do I not doubt? Jesus Christ. I never doubt him. When you're in the middle of it, and it feels like nothing's going to work out, God wants you to have this supernatural response this supernatural attitude and believe and not doubt in a God who loves you, in a God that you can trust, in a God who died for you to make all things right, in a God who wants to make you mature and a God who wants you to be complete. Your attitude is key here. Your attitude will propel you forward into a deeper relationship with God or the opposite attitude will tear you away, lead you away from a depth of it depth of wisdom and insight that God wants you to have. It's all about this attitude, this supernatural response, having faith. It says, do not, you must believe and do not doubt. Remember what I said before? You have to stop blaming God for your trials. Don't blame him for it. Start living in them. Start having faith in your trials. Remember what I said? We have this idea that trials are always bad. Trials are not always bad things. They're easy for us to think that they're bad because they do feel horrible. But there's a good side to a trial. And if we could get through it with the right supernatural response, we will be blessed. This verse in verse 12, a little further down, says, Blessed is the man. Read this with me. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Even if the worst should happen, even if it leads you to your deathbed. If that trial, that cancer, that issue, that thing you're facing takes you all the way to your deathbed, blessed is the man who perseveres under that trial because you will have the crown of life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? 
Hello, church. Isn't that awesome? The crown of life is waiting for those because he's promised it to those who love him. And this room is full of people who love him. If you love him, you've received a crown of life. Literally. As Jesus went through the greatest trial this world, this history has ever seen, Jesus went faced trials of many kinds, but we know the lead up to the crucifixion and then the crucifixion itself was the greatest struggle, the greatest as he took the sins of the world upon his shoulders and died a brutal and cruel death, being mocked, the Son of God being mocked and being tortured, literally. He faced a trial with a supernatural attitude. How is it possible that he could say, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing? That's a supernatural prayer there. How is it possible that he could say, but as he lead up to the crucifixion, Lord, this cup, just take it from me, Lord. No, but not my will, Lord, yours be done. Yours be done. How is that possible that you could have a supernatural response like that? A supernatural prayer like that. He went through the trial willingly. He faced death, even death on a cross so that we could be complete, so that we could have the crown of life. Let's have our worship team come up at this time and they can play uh, gently in the background as we come to, the, to a time of sharing communion together. Here's what I want you to do this morning. We're going to come to the altar as we do sometimes with communion. Take your communion, spread out across the front of the altar here. There's no rush for this, right? We don't need to run down. Just take a moment, take a few minutes. One by one, just come. And I want you to bring your struggle I want you to bring your trial. I want you to bring your issue that you're dealing with right now. It trials of many kinds, it says. It might be a small thing right now. It might be a big thing. It might be a, a health issue. It might be a grief, a grief that you're struggling with. I don't know. You know what it is. What's your trial? It might be just a heavy, heavy burden that you're holding onto. Maybe you've lost a baby. You're dealing with the grief of losing a baby. What is it? Maybe a relationship breakdown. Maybe financially is a struggle and you just don't know how you're going to pay the bills. You don't know what you're going to do. What's your struggle? What's your trial? Come to this altar and bring it to the, the feet of Jesus. Bring it to the cross. And be blessed. Blessed is the man, the woman, who perseveres under trial. Be blessed as you stand here. Can we all stand to our feet, please? As you come in, Aaron and the team, they're going to sing a beautiful song for us. Realize something important is happening. Realize something important is happening behind your trial. Realize that we can join in with God's growth process because He wants to develop you to have perseverance as you go through your trial. Realize and come to this altar and be sure to ask for God's help. Ask Him for His wisdom. 
as you come here this morning, come down here and say, Lord, I need your wisdom. And then do not doubt what he tells you. Do not doubt what he tells you. And then have a supernatural response. Say, God, I'm going to go out of this place and I'm going to face my trials with my feet planted on the solid rock of Jesus Christ because he's the rock of my salvation. And he can take me through anything, even if the worst should happen. I can stand firm on him. I can stand firm on him. And you will be blessed as you persevere and stand the test. You will be blessed as you persevere and stand the test. And you will receive the crown of life. So we take this cup. It represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And as you come, just please take your time. No rush. Take one of these. Enjoy God's presence as you eat and as you drink. that's you, um, please just maybe lift your hand. I'd love to come around and pray with you. And uh, I'll come and do that now. Let's keep singing. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection and why should i gain from his reward and i cannot give an answer 
wounds have paid my ransom. And why should I gain from his reward? And I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom but this i know with all my heart his wounds have paid my 